Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B. Joining me today is just Jacob. Hello. And we're going to be talking about RPGs, something a little bit different. We're going to be taking a look at sort of the storytelling versus mechanics dichotomy, what the way that that is expressed in various RPGs, and some of the ways in which it's maybe not quite as stringent a dichotomy as people like to believe. But first, we're going to be doing things a little bit different at the beginning. We're going to be talking about what we want to play rather than what we've been playing. Yeah. First off, a game that I think just about the entire board gaming world has been talking about recently, Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven. Yep. So... You've probably heard about this game. <laughs> if you're listening to us, you have most likely heard about this game. That's fair. Um, and we are very excited to play it. I picked it up the other day. I have gone through and taken apart the 10 pounds of ca- cardboard that came with it. This game is massive. Like, yeah. I he told me it was big, and then I was like, okay, yeah, you know, whatever. In my head, I've got an idea of what a big box game looks like. No, no. This is enormous. It is literally two large box games stacked on top of each other like that's how big this one box is exactly and i mean it got to the point where when i pre-ordered it from kathleen she was just like yeah as long as you pick it up within like the week because it's taking up way too much space in my storeroom (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I'm, i'm really looking forward to it it sounds like a really cool dungeon crawly kind of game there are 95 scenarios in it that's that's a number that is a large number of scenarios So I'm looking forward to seeing exactly how that all works. I don't know very much about how it works. And I I think, actually, it's interesting, especially when you compare it to a lot of the other minis dungeon crawling games. The only miniatures in this game are the player characters. Really? Yes. The rest of it is all cardboard. So there are 240 different enemies or like pieces of cardboard that are like the enemies. Like Mm -hmm. they're they're like double-sided printed like standees. Sure. Yeah. I think, this, first of all, this game already costs a lot of money. Yeah, I was going to say, if they had actually tried to make 3D printed miniatures for all yeah. of these characters or monsters, it would have just been, it would have taken up way more space than it already did. It would have been cost prohibitive. Yeah. I think this is probably the right choice. It would have been along the lines of like a Kingdom Death Monster or a Cool Mini or Not Kickstarter with like a ton and a half of minis and just to get them all, you have to pay a few hundred dollars. So I, I, I like that it's all self-contained in this one box, as big as it is. And I'm just really interested to see, like, how this all works. It seems to be really interesting. It's got, like, terrain pieces that are, like, a lot of fun that you just, like, get to put together. And each scenario has a different combination of them. Everything is, like, two-sided. You've got all these different terrain, like adjustments and that kind of thing so you know whether or not you have like some pools of stone or acid or whatever like you you have all these different kinds of things that you could just put on the on the board just to make it like more more dynamic and like give a little bit more of those mechanics in there right so i think that that'll be a lot of fun to break into and especially if we can get a campaign going with some of our friends i think that it'll be awesome yeah having said all that We don't have the best track record with legacy games. And in fact, one of the games that I want to play and have been wanting to play for basically the entire year that you have owned it is Seafall. Uh, (laughs) Legacy game, pirates, 
what's not to like. I'm I'm super jazzed about Seafall. I even I read the rules. I read through that entire rule book because you guys were like, yeah, we're gonna play, and then we never played, and that information is just taking up space in my brain now. So <laughs> well, at least you don't have to read through it now. <laughs> we have to. I'll have to refresh myself. But yes, we have to put that information to use. Seafall, you know, it was really hype. You know, Rob Davio was coming off of Pandemic Legacy, the number one rated board game on BGG. Like, he was king of the world. Everybody was super excited for Seafall. And I feel like a lot of people have sort of cooled down on it. Some of the the reviews that we've been seeing, some of the personal testimonials have suggested that maybe it's not quite as good as everybody was expecting. But honestly, based on, you know, the rules that I've seen, based on just sort of the general concepts Mm -hmm. laid out in the game... I'm still really intrigued. I mean, yeah. I'm the type of person who, you know, you look at some of my favorite games, Robinson Crusoe, Near and Far, those types of games. I'm really into exploration. Yeah. So, you know, this is thematically something that really appeals to me. I like the legacy game format. Um, and I'm still really hyped for Seafall. So we got to we gotta get some people to table. Hopefully we'll be playing it on the stream at yeah. some point. I don't know if we'll manage to swing it, but I would like to very much. I think we finally actually have a group that we can play with. So, yep, exactly. We've been talking to our friends. We want to make a little bit more of a set stream schedule and include these kinds of legacy games in there. And I think we've got a group for Seafall. So, knock on wood, as Greg said, uh, or did. Hopefully, we'll be bringing it to table soon. Yeah, there you go. I, on the other hand, have another game that just arrived that I am really excited to play. So... If you hadn't noticed already, based on the reviews, last week's review, and uh, just our general hype, we like Ryan Lacotte in this podcast. It's true. We never tire of it. (laughs) So the game that I am really, really looking forward to bringing to table is Empires of the Void 2, which just came to my doorstep last week. Yes. Very excited for this. It is looking really, really cool. It's got his uh, signature artwork and... It even actually included a little bit of a booklet of like how he made the game, and I like skimmed through that. Oh, that's pretty cool. And there's some really cool things, like talking about how some of the cards he wasn't at first going to have them full size because that would be a lot more artwork, but then through the Kickstarter, people gave him a lot of feedback, and like they just raised so much support that he decided to make them like into full-size cards with artwork and that kind of stuff so that's really cool there's there's just going to be so much stuff in there that's going to be a lot of fun to look through to play and just to learn the game and i am very very much looking forward to playing that one yeah me too i mean you know we played the original empires of the void and that was a lot of fun it was not quite as polished i think as some of the other games that we played by him Mm -hmm. and so i'm very much looking forward to sort of a an update of the setting and of some of the concepts with the experienced eye that he's yeah. really uh, accrued over, you know, it's been what, four or five years now. It's been a while. At yeah, least. Yeah. So yeah, definitely looking forward to playing empires of the void. We'll have to get that to table soon. Let you all know how it is. Exactly. And then last but not least, I actually have a game that I kickstarted, which mm-hmm. it, it is in fact unprecedented. I have never kickstarted a game before this one. I actually haven't kickstarted a game since, I don't have quite as much money to throw around as Jacob, but it's called Path of Light and Shadow, and it is really cool. I was just, I was so intrigued. We did a What's Fresh Wednesday about it, and I really liked this idea of sort of a territory control game with a 
deck building element. You know, you've you've basically got this this following. You know, your soldiers, your civilians, people like that that comprise your deck, and you have to build up those people and turn those cards into better cards. But while you're doing so, it's not just you know a pure deck builder like Dominion or or Ascension or anything like that. You're actually trying to get better and better people, gear, all these sorts of things so that you can control more territory and so that you can research and invest into more advanced infrastructure and all of these sorts of things. So it's a fascinating intersection, I think, of a lot of different types of games. You've got a little bit of Euro resource management in there. You've got the deck management. You've got the territory control mechanics. There's a morality mechanic where you've got cruelty versus mercy, I believe, are the two sort of poles Mm -hmm. of the axis. And so you've got all of these different elements coming together on a really gorgeously rendered board. And I I just haven't been able to sit down and play it. It's quite a large box as well. It seems more than a little daunting to unpack and actually ask some people to sit down and play it with me. So definitely looking forward to playing that at some point in the near future. I hope it lives up to my own personal hype. I will happily relay my findings to you all. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one too. I've actually sat in, one of our friends was teaching the game. I couldn't stay for that one, but it looked really great. Like Him showing me how to play really got me excited for that game as well. So I'm really looking forward to actually sitting down and playing it. And there you have it. That's a look at some of the things that we are very much excited to play in the near future. All right, everyone, welcome to our new RPG segment. This is almost playing back a little bit to the roots of Dragon's Demise, where we used to do a lot more RPG stuff, and uh, we want to bring that back. Yeah, back so, before I was a part of it. Yeah, exactly. Back uh, back before Greg, back in the old days, at the very beginning. And I, I thought that it would be good to actually bring that back and start talking a little bit more about RPGs. We, we would like to be doing this about once a month, talking about just uh, different kinds of topics that have to do with role-playing. We're both also getting into, I think, role-playing a lot more recently, so that helps a lot. And so today, what we want to talk about was the spectrum of RPGs between the really rules-heavy RPGs and the really story-driven RPGs. So pretty much, where does an RPG fall on the scale of Skyrim to writing a book? Yeah. Of course, grammar rules do not apply. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I think that's a really great way to look at it. You know, you're thinking in terms of the system that's being provided to you. Obviously, you know, the players and the GM are going to take it a certain way. They're going to do whatever it is that they want with the system. But systems are designed with a particular thing in mind. And I think that's something that you can tell sort of reading through the rules. You can say, okay, you know, this system is very freeform. It's more about giving us a platform to describe the story that we're playing through. Versus a different system might be much more, okay, this is the number that I have that governs, you know, this particular action. And if I am successful, then I can describe and I can tell a story about that action in a certain way. But there's sort of a different design philosophy that seems to go into some of these. And we just sort of wanted to take a look at that. Yeah. Not to say, of course, that any of these can't be really either story-driven or uh, vice versa. You can get a great story in, in any system. If you want to. So we're not saying that, you know, in these very rules-heavy systems that you just can't have a story. No, you're going to have a story. It's going to be just more governed by the rules. And we're not also saying which one is better or worse. These are just 
different approaches to the idea that is role-playing. So we wanted to start on the side that is very much story-driven. And I think one of the ones that exemplifies this is Fall of Magic. I've talked about this game a few times, and Fall of Magic is pretty much an RPG on a scroll. So, first of all, awesome. <laughs> Strictly from a, you know, a materials design standpoint, awesome. Exactly. But the game itself is very much based on telling a story of how you go on this journey and what this journey is and everything like that. Character creation for this game is literally choosing a name, a title, and a place you're from. Yeah, it's about as storytelling-focused as it gets. Exactly. And then you go to all the different locations, and, and you go, there's a map on the scroll, which is what it's there for. And as you move along, the story pretty much is up to you. So in the first location, for example, you could go to one place that says, describe your relationship with the Magus, or like, why do you work for them? At that point, you don't even know really who the Magus is. You know that it has to do something with the fall of magic, but you don't know, is he participating in the fall of magic? What is your relationship to him? Are you like his slave? Are you his you know, best friend? Are you his you know, pet? It's up to you. And like, you know, is he on the same plane of beings as, as the humans? <laughs> or is he like a god among men? Like, what, what's going on? So that's the cool part about this game is that none of those are wrong. You can do any of that. And the way that you do it is you tell the story. And if you ever need another character, one of the other players will step in and be that character. And so you can actually like role play it out. And that's pretty much how the game works. So you go along and you have all these prompts along the map. And you're just telling a story together, trying to pretty much figure out where you want it to end and how you want it to end. Very much story-driven, pretty much no mechanics other than move along this dotted line. And everyone has to use at least one of the prompts in every location. That's it. Boom. Game. And so that's why like, we think that it's like almost the epitome of a storytelling kind of RPG. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there, there really isn't much to do apart from tell a story, tell the story of your action. A similar sort of game is a game called Fiasco, and this is uh, an RPG that is inspired by comedy of error type movies like Fargo and things like that, where you and a handful of other players are put into a completely ridiculous but also fairly dire situation, and you're just trying to emerge from that situation. And one of the great things about Fiasco is that you're playing through it almost like setting up scenes in a film. At the beginning of each turn, for, for lack of a better term, you are going to be put into a scene and you can decide whether or not you want to set that scene, which is you determine where you are, what's happening and who's with you. Or you can determine whether or not you want to resolve that scene, which is you can determine whether or not it went well or poorly for your character. And those are the only two things that you get to determine. If you choose to determine one of them, then the other players at large determine the other. So there's no, you know, rolling, there's no mechanics, you don't have stats or anything like that. All that you're doing is interacting with another person to try to create one little moment, a snapshot in a larger story. And then, depending on whether or not you chose to establish or to resolve, other players may have the opportunity to influence your outcome and at the end of the game 
the number of successes or failures that you have determines whether or not your character you know lives or dies lives happily ever after or lives in squalor you know all these sorts of of things and so it's much more about the interpersonal relationships and the playoff that you have with the other players as opposed to any sort of interfacing mechanic of oh well you know you have to roll x to hit or you're trying to achieve this so you have to spend this many points it's all narrative driven but there is that slight element more than fall of magic at least in terms of determining successful versus unsuccessful outcomes for your character there you go the next rpg is one that starts to have some sort of mechanics in terms of actually adding some sort of randomness kind of thing to whether or not you succeed or fail. The game is Dread, and the mechanic here is Jenga. So <laughs> it, it really is. There's no better way to put it. Yeah, it, it's literally you just have a Jenga tower, and it's a horror RPG, so this adds to a lot of the tension, which is cool. And whenever the GM thinks that you would have any you know, larger chance of failure, you have to pull a certain number of blocks determined by the GM from the tower, and if you knock down the tower, your character dies. That's it. It's still extremely mechanics light, but this is where you start getting into those kinds of other things that add to like, what you actually have to do. This one gives a lot of leeway to the GM. They get to choose like whether or not you need to take them and how many, but it is still very, very much story-driven. Right. Following that, kind of moving towards the center of the spectrum is a game called Everyone is John which we've mentioned before. John is a person with multiple personalities who the players represent. Each player has goals and also things that they are good at. And at the end of the game, you want to try to be the person who has made John do your goals more than everyone else has done their goals. So again, this does have mechanics. Every time you put John into a situation while you're in control, you have to roll a die to see whether or not you're successful and the things that you are good at may give you a plus one bonus if you can justify that to the GM. And so things like Dread and Everyone is John, one of the important concepts that they really start to illustrate is this idea that it's not necessarily about, okay, well, we're going to have a game that is only about storytelling, or we're going to have a game that's only about numbers. And there's numbers on a die, but it's more about giving yourself the freedom to describe your activity as opposed to being circumscribed by your result. And so in a game like Everyone is John, yes, you do have to adhere to the result of your role, whatever that may be. But in terms of describing what you're doing, in terms of maneuvering John into a situation where he is performing the action that you want him to do, in terms of justifying whether or not your bonus applies to the GM, a lot of these things are done in a more descriptive fashion as opposed to a prescriptive fashion where it's just, oh, you're in this situation, you get this number. You're in this situation, you get this number. And it's it's interesting in the way that these games start to highlight how this isn't quite the divergence that people often make it out to be. Exactly. Moving on down the line, a game called Monster Hearts is further illustrative of this. You've got very streamlined stats. You've got four stats, each of which governs a very broad set of activities. They determine what your attitudes are, sort of generally, your approach to certain situations. And each of those things have a number, and all of those situations call for a role. But again, you're given very broad latitude in terms of 
how you describe what it is that you're doing, how you position yourself throughout an environment, and also, based on your character's special abilities from their race in Monster Hearts, you basically play a, a werewolf or a vampire who's in high school. Think of it as Buffy the Vampire if it were on HBO. <laughs> you have a lot of leeway about how you apply those abilities. You can say, okay, well, this isn't necessarily a numerical bonus, but descriptively I feel like it would apply, and so you have some freedom to tell a story without relying on the mechanics. Yeah, and then after that, we will move on pretty much to the middle of the spectrum, according to our, whatever you want to call it, logic. Um, <laughs> our brains. Yeah, according to us. This Functional is, this as is, they may be. This is around the middle of the spectrum. And this is a game called Phoenix Dawn Command. And it's got a very interesting balance between the mechanics and the storytelling. Because the mechanics are definitely there. Like, you know, they're very visible. They're very present. And that, like, your character is your deck of cards. And, you know, you plan around them. You, you go ahead and you, you start getting to those areas where you know what you can do based on the cards that you have in your hand. But at the same time, you still have enough leeway with the storytelling and just, like, trying to get something, especially for those last stand moments that, like, give you a lot of storytelling capabilities. And since this is a game in which you are dying and being reborn and dying and being reborn, you have many of those last stand moments. And that's when you can really flex your like creative muscles about like how you're going to do this. And like, you know, you, you have enough of these sparks that you're, you're going to be able to succeed in this because you're going to use the last of your will or energy just to do this and really make that like an interesting and great part of the game itself. So we think that it's it's like right there in the middle of like the balance between the mechanics and the storytelling aspects of it. Next up, pretty much smack in what we've identified as the center of this continuum between storytelling and mechanics are sort of three RPGs that follow a lot of the same general conventions. You've got World of Darkness, of which, you know, I am most familiar with the vampire system, the Edge of Empire Star Wars system, and the Marvel Universe RPG. And these are three systems in which you absolutely have a very robust character creation. You have specifically laid out stats and capabilities and things that you're able to do. And more importantly, doing those has started to require specific values and the application of specific numbers to a situation. But they do still give you a lot of freedom to describe situations you know they're theater of the mind games as opposed to things that can usually be rendered on a battle mat and thought of in terms of feet it's more relational than that you know in marvel universe rpg which is absolutely unique you're not five feet away from someone you're in a panel together which means that you can interact with this other person and yeah you have to spend stones to do it but the distances being described the proportionality of the strength and the effects that you can do it's all relative and so these games i think are a very happy medium between those two things and i know edge of empire in particular is one that you have a lot of familiarity with yeah I, i've gotten to play edge of the empire and, and you're totally right with that it really does focus a lot on almost opposed roles and successes versus failures and that kind of thing and it really has some cool systems in terms of giving people situational advantages and disadvantages based on what they roll, based on, on like where they are narratively in this. And it almost makes the role 
fuel the role playing in this even more so than some of the ones that we're going to talk about a little bit later how much you succeed and it's like a success but or a failure but kind of system mm-hmm. that like you know you might fail because you didn't get enough successes but you got like inspiration on the dice or i forget what it's called exactly that gives you something good that happened out of it so it really does balance that kind of narrative aspect and storytelling aspect with the actual gameplay pretty well yeah definitely i think for all three of those as we get further towards the pure mechanics side of the spectrum you start to get into systems like fantasy age and this is a system that i've talked about before where again very discreet character creation you've got stats those stats have modifiers that they add to your abilities to your skills all of these sorts of things anytime you're asked to roll you're adding very specific numbers but one of the things that fantasy age does that i think is really fantastic is it makes accommodations for ways to describe things that aren't just combat situations as someone who came from a D background which we'll obviously be talking about momentarily the opportunity to use exploits for exploration and for social interaction and to get descriptive successes in these non-combat situations was really fascinating and i think fantasy age does a really excellent job of sort of leaning more towards the min-maxing crunchy type elements but incorporating non-combat storytelling elements for people who are more interested in exploring that yeah and speaking of getting a little bit more crunchy We've got D&D. D&D 5e is definitely the more narrative-focused of the D&D games. Right. Um, it They've really, really done a great job of building that into the system and making things less about the actual numbers in many ways than in previous systems. So now instead of just having you know flat bonuses and things like that, you get advantage or disadvantage. You get resistance, which halves the damage or things like that. So it almost does it in a way that qualifies the amount. And rather than everything being static and you having to like, you know, add up a whole bunch of different kinds of numbers in order to figure out what you're doing, everything is is just a little bit more fluid. They've also done a really great job of incorporating role play into the system and just like with things like inspiration in that like they're pretty much telling the DM is like, hey, give this person like an advantage like, when they do a good job role-playing. They've got the backgrounds, which they finally built in, and it was a, that was one of the rules that I like to optionally play with in 3.5 that like will actually give you some benefit and some skills, which is also extremely useful and encourages players to actually learn more about their own character and give them a story. That all being said, it's still very much roll the die and you succeed or fail on the roll of the die and you can do things based on the skills that you have and you know what you're good at what you're not and you have to stay within that kind of framework there's a lot more leeway but it's not freeform storytelling right and the unifying factor between you know 5e and sort of the next rung on the the move towards pure mechanics 3.5 slash pathfinder slash starfinder slash you know, your D20 system of choice, D20 modern, anything like that, is this idea that based on the rules as written, any possible situation that you could find yourself in is going to call for a role. 
you don't get to talk down a guard. You don't get to actually use the eloquence of the words that you can come up with as a player to convince a guard to let you go. You're rolling a bluff check or a persuade check or whatever it is that there might be. And as we discussed, rules as written isn't automatically what the system is going to be used for. GMs can give you inspiration if they feel like the things that you've said are really appropriate or really powerful and well thought out. They can give you advantage. In the case of you know 3.5, they might give you a plus two circumstance bonus. But when you look at the way that the system is designed, it's all about these are the roles that are applicable to this situation, and just about every situation has a role that is relevant. And that, I think, is one of the things that really defines a mechanics-heavy, crunchy system like 3.5, and even like 5e, given all the concessions that they've made. Yeah, exactly. And then as you go further along the list, you go to a game like Shadowrun. And Shadowrun is definitely much more focused on the actual rules and like the skills that you have and well you're almost pelting other players with like chunks of d6s literally so there's a lot more going on there you do have opportunities for especially like if you have really really great successes that you can do some really cool stuff but it is very much predicated on the rules and it's role first and then like if you can do something cool then you will so it's almost as if the role playing is based on the result of the role rather than the role being as based on what you want to do role-playing-wise. Right. Polaris is a lot of the same way. We've talked about Polaris before. It's actually the only RPG that we have officially reviewed. And the thing with Polaris is that while similar to 3.5 or to Shadowrun, where every situation calls for a specific die roll and everything has to be related back to that, the designers of the game seem to have been completely averse to allowing any sort of flexibility on the part of the GM. There is no situation where you could even have an allowance, any flexibility, any bonuses, penalties, situational, anything like that, without consulting the rules. There is absolutely every situation you can imagine is covered, whether it's learning a language, speaking a language, speaking your non-native language. Speak, like it's, it's frankly ridiculous how nitty-gritty the system gets with its its attention to detail and the granularity of its rules. And then, on the very, very end of the rules-heavy spectrum, we've got good old-fashioned AD&D. So... <laughs> Calculus the game. Pretty much. I mean, this is the kind of game that you played and you had to choose which body part you were aiming for with your sword... And then calculate the velocity at which you were able to like hit it, if you were able to hit it. And like, there's just so much in there. You, you literally were doing calculus on the game pages. So I don't know if you can get very much more heavy than that. At least not until you let the computer do the calculus for you <laughs> in games like RPGs on PC. Yep. Well, there you go. That's a look at some of our ideas about what the sort of storytelling versus mechanics continuum looks like in contemporary rpgs maybe we're wrong maybe you feel like we've sorely misrepresented your favorite rpg let us know we absolutely would love to hear from you in the comments or find us on twitter anywhere you want to contact us let us know what you thought of the rpgs let us know if maybe your favorite rpg didn't make the cut and where you think it would fall on that continuum either way we hope that you enjoyed this episode focused more on rpgs and we look forward to bringing you another such episode at some point in the future 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to join us this week during our weekly live stream on Wednesdays. And of course, be sure to tune in next week when we will be reviewing Vast. <laughs>